This show was shot at you from the Goblin Broadcast Network, mate. Did we hit yet? June 5th, 2006. I am your host, Sam Chupp. Writer, game designer, parent, podcaster, computer game enthusiast, and general tech geek. I am uh, calling you today, I'm talking to you today from the depths of podcast silence just recently had a week where I just couldn't even begin to think of what to podcast so this is my attempt at breaking that silence and moving forward the uh, I did miss you guys last week I did miss the idea the feeling of putting out a podcast believe it or not when you're working on a podcast, it's kind of um, lonely because what you're doing is you're just talking and other people are listening. And sometimes they give you feedback like I played the last time. And sometimes they don't. And that's okay. You know, The whole point of this, really, uh, the Bears Grove, is to get... Um, I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of things to say about gaming, about storytelling, and to get that out there so that you can hear it, and maybe we can start a conversation about it. So, I feel like we're, we're so far in the last 18 episodes, we've definitely fulfilled that mission. Attention, attention, it's the 2006 Podcast Awards. For the second year, you can be part of the action by telling your listeners to nominate your podcast every day, and then vote for your podcast every day. So join the banner-ad-driven excitement and help us to honor those podcasts with the biggest audiences who are willing to annoy those audiences by begging the most. Only at podcastawards.com. I have been working on uh, the game for Core and I, the Core and I role-playing game. It's not going to be called that. It's going to be called something else. But until I get my uh, coin together for purchase of a new domain name, that's what it'll be for now. That'll be the test, the like special secret code name right now, and then we'll move on to something that is uh, a little bit more oh, I guess you could say appropriate than just the Core and I role-playing game. Um, 
diverging a little bit from character generation, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that um, one of the things that makes a, a role-playing game a role-playing game and not just an improv is a sense of this sense of this conflict navigation system. I call it con- conflict navigation because really the whole point of conflict is not to resolve it per se, but to navigate through it. You see, the thing of it is, stories are about conflict nine times out of ten. They're something, it's about something that happens and somebody else opposes it. Or, you know, some of the most interesting parts of stories are the conflicts. It's important that in a game designed to create these kind of stories, we have some way to get through the conflict and on to the next conflict, the next challenge to the story. I was very pleased uh, Cynthia sent me a link to a blog, and I'll provide this on the, in the show notes, talking about the concept of yes and. Yes and is an improv thing, apparently. This fellow used to work for Second City uh, in Chicago. And he was an improv guy. And he learned the concept of yes and, which is essentially you take something and you accept it and you go with it. So, like, if I were to say, all right, so you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean. You could say, yes, and we've been at sea for three months and we all know each other and suddenly the ship is blown out of the water not by a weapon but by a giant head that's picking it up as the head emerges from the water and I would say yes exactly the giant head picks us up and yet the captain seemed to be ready for this, so the captain pushes a button and wings unfurl out of the side of the boat and take off. The boat is able to get away as the massive giant creature that we were riding on swipes at us like a man might swipe at a fly. You know, it... it and the whole yes and is, is very, very important there because what we're doing is we're saying, okay, yeah, I will take what you just did. I will take that thread that you just gave me and I'll go with it. I'm not going to try to top it. That's not the point. The point is to, to work collaboratively, to add to what somebody else has done, but honor them and honor what they've given you to get moving through that and to navigate through that. And that brings us back to conflict navigation. I've noticed that stories have a certain pattern to them, and I keep hearing story is structure. Tracy Hickman likes to say that a lot. By the way, if you haven't heard his Dragonhearth podcast, go on over to dragonhearth.com. That's dragonhearth, not dragonheart. Dragonhearth.com. And uh, take a listen. It's a really well-produced, incredibly professional-sounding podcast. It just makes my jaw drop. 
kind of blows this podcast right out of the water, really. But anyway. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't talk about sex, and we do. So, there you go. Um, anyway, I was going to talk, finish talking about conflict navigation. Basically, a conflict navigation system is going to have to create structure. It's going to have to establish structure, generate structure. It's got to do this in such a way that it doesn't become rote. Remember, we're creating story artifacts here, and we don't want the story to have the same structure every time. One of the things I've been thinking of is something along the lines of a game called Settlers of Catan. You may have played this or heard about it. The neatest part about the game to me from the very beginning is that you randomly generate the game board every time by laying down these tiles in a certain pattern, and that way the game is never the same way twice. So my question is, you know, is there some way to create some kind of card system or tile system that would allow us to create a structure that then we could use to navigate through conflicts? Something to think about. The structure could be influenced by the players, and that is really what happens a lot of times, even in crunchy technical games, games that are more simulationist, like D&D 3rd Edition 3.5. In D&D, you have very strict, very structured. This is when you what you can do when, but it's perfectly possible for every combat to be virtually the same. When I was running a game for my kids, I noticed that they had a certain pattern. Somebody would soften up their targets with long-distance weapons, spells, that kind of thing. The healers would back up to the fighters, and the fighters would walk into the fight, and the fighters would protect the healer types, and the healer types would keep the fighters alive, and pretty soon everybody would be dead. This is something that they evolved because... The structure of the rules demanded it. However, after a while, it got to be kind of rote, very predictable, to the point where, you know, I started to come up with spells that allowed the other side to sort of detect who's a spellcaster and what kind of spellcaster they are. I mean, nobody really does that, but if I was a tactical person in a fantasy environment, I would want to know. I'd want to know, you know, who is standing against me? What are their powers? I don't, want to run, I don't want to run randomly into some kind of cleric or a paladin that I didn't even know about or a sorcerer who has fireball. You know, I mean, I, I want to know more about what's going on in the battlefield than that. I don't want to just, you know, wait until someone casts chain lightning on me and say, oh yeah, okay, that's the wizard. So why don't, you know, they should have spells or magic items that say, hey, look, over here, there's a uh, very powerful wizard. There's a powerful sorcerer. This peasant over here is uh, carrying a wand of fireballs. He's not afraid to use it. You know, I mean, something like that. So, wanted to get back to the topic at hand. Basically, the thing is, D&D 3.5 is very structured, but very iterative. Cinematic combat can be done just as a narrative, but then you get into... There's a kind of flow, but there's really a lack of any kind of surprise. I mean, really, ultimately, a lot of people say, well, basically, you'd know before you start fighting whether or not you win. So there's no real reason to 
do any kind of fighting that you don't think you'll win. To a certain extent, that's what real life is like, though. I mean, I, I certainly don't get into fights with people that I obviously, in real life, that I obviously have no chance of hurting or, or like, winning. If I, you know, I'm not going to throw myself into a fight with a giant person or with somebody who's armed with a gun if I don't have one. It just doesn't make any sense. Of course, there's still stupid people in the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to have to get a structure, and the structure is going to be different each time. The structure will be slightly the same. I mean, we'll have to be informed by rules so you can have some stability to it because you also don't want it to be all wacko. And this is not tune we're playing. So it can't be just all over the map. It has to be pretty much um, straightforward. It has to be accessible. Other people have to be able to look at it and go, yeah, okay, I know what's going to happen next. It's got to move quickly, because I'm not going to sit around and wait. I cannot stand f page flipping. It happens sometimes in, in games, and sometimes I have to do it. I hate it. I hate page flipping, so I'm not going to do it. So ultimately, uh, I've got to work more on this. But that's just my thoughts about the conflict navigation system. And I'll get back in, into character generation next week. So this segment is about playing. Player, I want you to have a character you love. From the start. I don't want to know... If later on you just actually hate the character. I want to know that the character you play in my game is first of all original. Because I don't like it when people bring in characters from other games. And the reason is because I feel like you know I am creating an original creation to run for you. I'm creating this for you. You can at least do me the respect of creating something of yourself to go along with my creation. And in fact, player characters and GMs should be collaborating on all the characters that could created. It you cannot take credit for this cool PC that you made because basically a GM and a player have to get together on it. They have to decide. It has to be a negotiation. It has to be a compromise to a certain extent. There has to be a mutual creation here, a collaboration between you. So, how do you do that? I mean, how does that work? So, I recently had somebody come to me in, in one of my games... And say, look, um, I didn't like the character that I played last time I played. And so I want to play something different. Well, this was a vampire game. So it's kind of like, it's very difficult to, um, you know, there are, in vampire, as you probably know, if you don't know, that you're about to find out. All players in vampire, all player characters in vampires have a, a clan and this is Vampire the Masquerade. This is not Requiem. Not that you're surprised after my Requiem rant. But anyway, what I'm saying is... Um, she said, look, I just can't cope with this 
Nosferatu character that you created. And it was a situation where I didn't get a chance to work with her so closely, so I just sort of, you know, we took her, we made her into an Osferatu. It was a, it was okay. It wasn't bad, but it, she just didn't like the character very much. And so we decided to make a new character. And there was a lot of negotiation. I'm just like, okay, so what do you want to be? Do you want to be a Toreador? A Tremere? You know, I try to think about what kind of characters are already in the group. And she's like, well, I want to be a Malkavian. And I want to be a little girl vampire. Now, you know, one thing about little about children vampires, they're just so hard to deal with. You can play a children a child vampire character, and there have been people who have, and they do pretty well. But a child vampire is something close to a monstrosity, as far as I'm concerned. Just awful. I mean, and the kind of horror that a child vampire creates around her makes the situation really creepy all the time. Now, um, you know, I'm not totally close to the idea, but I wasn't exactly happy about it. And she wanted to play some sort of homicidal maniac, which is also not cool. Because, you know, in the Masquerade, in the Camarilla, we, we would, uh, you cannot go crazy and kill people. Because that is breaking the Masquerade. And in fact... Uh, in an earlier game, we had a problem with that. And so, you know, I just didn't want to go there with her. So it was that she said, well, I said, well, what about playing a Tremere? Because I knew that the Tremere would be really powerful. And there's a, a bunch of things you can do with Tremere. Particularly because they're so controlled from on high. But you can give a player a bit of freedom, and then you can rein them in if they start to get out of control. And that's kind of how I was thinking about this character. And she's like, no, 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 I don't want to be a Tremere. Okay. So, what do we want? You know, what do you want to do? Can you want to play a gypsy vampire, the um, Ravnos? Or an Aramans, which is some sort of weird fairy vampire or something like that? Actually, I, w I even offered to let her play a Liana She, which is uh, a real fairy vampire. It's a completely made-up thing, but I thought that we could just kind of create something, which would be fun. Sometimes you can create something brand new that is still fitting with the so overall power level that you're looking at and create a brand new discipline to go along with it, because, you know, the bloodlines that are, you know, not exactly um, the main the main clans in Vampire, they all have their own little special disciplines, and that's what makes them cool. But she didn't want to play those, and she was running out of ideas. And I noticed that she really likes wolves, and so I was talking to her about playing a gangrel. Gangrels are the nature-oriented vampires. They have the lock on a power called Protean, which allows you to shapeshift. And um, 
it doesn't allow you to do much. It, it basically, um, in the very low levels, it just makes your eyes glow and gives you claws, that kind of thing. But as you get higher levels of Protean, you can shape change into wolf form and you can vanish into the ground and stuff like that, turn into mist, crap like that. And it's really a good, it's a great power. So I was trying to talk to her about that. I said, you know, what if you play a character that is essentially a gangrel, but she's a wolf. She's in wolf form all the time. She's stuck there. Yeah, she did used to be a human being at one point, but now she's a wolf. And she's a vampire. So she's a vampire wolf. And so she's like, oh, that's cool. So we start talking about it, and we go through step-by-step and sort of talk about what kind of character she'd be, and she's, like, asking me, well, what sort of contacts, you know, what sort of backgrounds could I have? And uh, we decided that since the gangrel that was already in the group had the ability to use animalism and speak to her, that as long as she was near her, we could pretend that you know, um, the other gangle character can translate for her, so she doesn't have to. She does not necessarily have to speak. She she doesn't have to speak English, and certainly her vocal cords as a wolf do not do well with English. So, you know, that's just an example. I mean, she basically she came to me. She said she didn't she didn't want the character that she had. We came to a compromise about what kind of character she could have, and now she really likes the character. Um, and there's a mystery surrounding her. Like, why does she... Why is she stuck in wolf form? You know? Um, how does that work? Does she have Protean? Well, no, not on her character sheet, because she can't shift. So, you know, she only has physical disciplines. She has celerity, potence, and aspects. So, basically, she only has, like, things that are intrinsic, not that give you power over people. And uh, now I'm, I'm interested in, in, you know, what can happen with this character. I mean, she's got a big question mark hanging over her head. I've got some ideas, but I'm willing to let them sort of simmer in the background. And the other players are kind of intrigued because, you know, she's a wolf. And uh, they rescued her from a experimental research laboratory. So that's how they got to know each other. One of the things about Vampire, by the way, just in case you were wondering, you cannot just expect that people who are playing Vampire are going to hang out together. In fact, it's, it's really hard to get Vampires to do anything together. They're very, uh, they're, much, they're like, a lot like cats. They're like herding cats. And you have to basically make it really worth their while to hang together. Otherwise, they'll just go all over the place, do whatever they want, splinter the story in a thousand different pieces. So we've got to give them, you know, some focus or some reason why they really need each other. And that helps. And that partially is created inside a character generation process. So just be mindful of that if you ever play vampire. you got to give them a reason to hang together because vampires are so damn independent. They'll do whatever they want. 
so anyway, moving right along, I want to talk a little bit about computer gaming and role-playing. Now, the thing of it is, there is no role-playing in computer games. And that's a sad thing. Well, okay, effectively there is none. There's, there's some. Some. But is there a place you can go in any massively multiplayer role-playing game and play and be assured that you will immediately be accepted into a role-playing environment. Now, I can tell you where to go for that if you just want text. Mushes and muds. I was When I was working for White Wolf, I was their online rec- representative. That is to say, I actually cared about the Internet. Not very many people did, really, um, when I first started working there. It took them a while before they even decided that having a website was worth their while. But, um, so before that, I was their online representative, and there were a lot of White Wolf mushes and muds and mucks and whatever you want to call it out there. Now, here's the typical experience you'd have. You'd log in, you create a mortal character, and... That mortal character would have statistics just like you would on a player character sheet. And in world, they'd have a system to set those characteristics. Like you could actually go through World of Darkness character character generation system. You pick your talent, skills, knowledges, your uh, attributes, and then. You, know, you pick all your aspects of your character, and then you'd write up a background, and boom, they'd approve you or not, and then you'd be on the grid. And this is a text-based environment, so you'd be wandering around in text-based environments, typing things like east, west, go here, open door. Just like in the old Zork sort of games that were like, you know, puzzles. They were sort of like mental puzzles. Except that this was interactive and social. And I had some great time doing storytelling in those environments because you can do a lot of stuff with the written word that you cannot do if you're trying to represent everything virtually or visually. I remember a particular team of investigators who were investigative journalists and they were trying to find out whether there were vampires in this one city, and they were following up on leads and tips. Now, here's the story. There are vampires in every online World of Darkness place. You know, that's just like a given. But they were, these reporters were acting like tabloid journalists and just trying to find any kind of proof of any vampire. And... They were very paranoid, and I was able to really mess with them because I'd make little little sounds happen around them. Somebody would knock on the door of their hotel room out of nowhere, and it would be the maid, you know. Here's some towels. We didn't order any towels. Oh, I must have gotten the wrong door. Sorry. Come. You know, and basically what would happen is after a while, they just got it, got so paranoid, they started, like, not trusting anyone. 
and uh, the only time a vampire ever interfered with them is when they decided to go down into the tunnels and look for vampires down there. And Anosferatu decided that he had his he had had enough of them, and triggered a cave in, cave and just killed them all. It was really sad, but um, the point I'm trying to make is that there was role playing there. There were, were rich role playing environments. There were rich role playing environments, and you could create characters and that sort of thing. Now on computer games, there just aren't that much. I mean, you'd think, wow, there's a lot of role-playing going on. There must be, right? Well, I don't know about World of Warcraft. I've never been there. Probably will never go because <laughs> I just... It's, uh... Yeah. I'm just not gonna do that. <laughs> but, um... I mean, I already get in enough trouble with Second Life. I don't really want to get... I don't, I don't want to go to hell. And, um... World of Warcraft I think would, would send me right there. But... I hear about World of Warcraft, and I hear a lot about it, but I don't hear a lot of people saying, you know, I had a rich role-playing, storytelling experience in World of Warcraft last night. Mostly they just talk about killing things. And um, I have played in Dark Age of Camelot, which is basically killing things. And I've played in the City of Heroes game, really liked that. It was a lot of fun. But it was just about killing things. Really not killing things, but beating beating up the bad guys, sending them to jail. Playing out the little stories. And there were stories in there, but there wasn't... I think I ran into maybe one or two people who were really interested in role-playing. Um, there was somebody there who was a taxi. I mean, they, they dressed up like a taxi. They had a yellow costume with checker, a checkerboard, and they were role-playing being a taxi. They were they were getting people from one part of the grid to another, and they were just, they were not doing it for experience, because it wouldn't give you any experience. Didn't give you any kind of power in the game. There's really no reason, other than the fact that, you know, it's kind of fun to teleport people around. But, you know, she was tele- she was giving people teleports for free into various places and getting them where they were going. And then sometimes finding uh, weary travelers out in the middle of the grid who are close to death and healing them and teleporting them back to where they could be safe. In City of Heroes, it's possible to fly around into areas that are really not, well, they're really far outside your level. And just the random people on the street that you run across will attack you and destroy you time and time again. Characters who die in City of Heroes get reset and they start to lose experience and it becomes a real a serious problem if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere. I had this happen to me and it was not a happy experience. So she was really doing a good service for people. Why was she doing it? No reason. Because she wanted to role-play. Because she was role-playing being this taxi person. Um, there were a couple of other people there who really didn't break character. But for the most part, everybody was just... They, they talked in elite speak. And they didn't really treat the game as a serious thing or as a creative endeavor or anything like that. 
so far the closest I've come to any kind of role-playing has been Second Life. Um, Second Life is not really a video game. It's a platform. And in fact, I really think that it's going to be a serious platform for computing in the future. I really think that we're going to have a situation where you're going to have your metaverse address, your website, your podcast, and uh, all kinds of things. But basically, you're going to be in the metaverse somewhere. Whether it's in Second Life or some other service that hasn't been created yet, but you're going to have an avatar, and you're going to be in the metaverse. Thank you, Neil Stevenson. So, uh, I am in the metaverse. I am Alexander Basiat on Second Life. I've created a little kiosk for us uh, in Second Life. It's on the podcasting island. And you can go there and see the kiosk. It's not much to see, but there's something. There's a lot of really cool places in Second Life you can go to roleplay. There's a possibility there for good roleplaying. But it has to be created. It has to be built from scratch. It does not... There's nothing in Second Life you cannot... You can do just sort of off the shelf. Everything has to be generated by the users. Which is great in some ways. But in other ways, it sucks. Because, like, I don't really want to spend... You know, months of time programming a interaction module or something where... You know, if I want to do a role play, I, I just want to do it. You know, I just want to have the tools given to me and do it. But um, looks like we're going to have to develop the tools and uh, figure out, get a group together and that will be self-sustaining. And that's not going to be easy. And I don't see it happening anytime soon. Plus, I just, you know, like I have a lot of extra free time. Not. So... Um, but it is something that you should be aware of if you are interested in that kind of role-playing where you are playing a character and you're actually having some story, there's, there's narrative, there's you know, a deep level of commitment to the story. They have people there playing Star Trek. They have like the Star Trek simulator and you can go in there and sit down and there's like this, you know, you, everybody plays their little positions and they have a little viewer and you know they're role playing I and mean, they're role playing being in Star Trek they have a Borg cube that they created they have a Klingon bird of prey they have a thing called the USS Defiant which is like a enterprise level it's like a battle cruiser for the, for the Federation there's an entire Star Trek community there okay don't get me wrong they, they love Star Trek there they also love science fiction. There's a whole science fiction museum there, which is really cool. But as far as a organized group of role players who get together and find ways to use the Second Life platform to do role playing, I mean, basically what I was thinking of is this could be very much like a Second Life live action role playing game. I mean, that's what really what it is. It's more live action than it is tabletop. Because it's what you see is what you get, right? At any rate, um, if you're interested and you want to know more, 
uh, contact me uh, on uh, my blog or and through the various ways that you can contact me. I've got a lot, lots of ways. We'll talk about it. And next, I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of sentimentality. As a GM, I find that I am really affected by the stories that we participate in. Sometimes I'm so affected that I cry, or I laugh, or I feel exultant. It is a powerful experience. Now, there's a certain meme in our culture and a certain thought process, especially among men, I found this to be the case, that says that basically you don't want to be sentimental. You want to be cynical. You want to basically be realistic. You want to cut out all emotion from something. It's embarrassing to show emotion. It's embarrassing to be caught up in a story. Really, all you should do is just sit there, let the story sort of flow around you and not really be affected by it. And to that I say, bullshit. Basically, a a game that does not affect you. A story that doesn't touch you is worthless. If you're so caught up in being macho, if you're so caught up in cutting off your emotions, if you're so caught up and embarrassed that somebody might show sadness or show that they're affected by a story then you know what you're probably not mature enough to game not with me for if any in any event and when i'm running games for kids and i see this kind of activity going on where people are making fun of other people i shut it down i don't let it happen so I know that there's a certain comfort level that everybody has to reach before they can really feel like showing emotion is okay. And that's understandable. I mean, walking into a convention game and allowing yourself to cry in front of total strangers might be a bit difficult. But you know what? It's okay if you do. And it's also okay if, while you're gaming, you get caught up in that you know, gaming with, with just friends that you know really well. You get caught up in it. You feel it. You cry. You know, it can be so relaxing and so releasing to let that kind of energy out. And maybe it's touching on something deep inside of you that really needs to be expressed. Something that you've forgotten. Something that is very important to you that you shouldn't put down. Shouldn't cram down inside yourself. There's been many times I've been touched by the story that I was involved with. There was a time when I was playing with Cynthia, and you know there was this terrible thing that happened to her character. Her uh, character was the queen of a country, and she went away for a time just to go on a like a pleasure ride. And while she was away, something funny happened. Something strange happened. She had a time pocket. She was stuck in time, in stasis. When she emerged from the time pocket, she found that it had been years since 
she was there. Someone had assumed her throne, and people didn't trust her, and people didn't trust her family anymore. And the people of her country were being enslaved. They were being abused. And, you know, she did the whole Henry VIII thing. She went undercover and snuck around in the camps of the people to find out what was going on and found out that they were really being treated badly and people had been run off and killed. It was just a terrible situation. And that just the pure loss of it was enough to send both Cynthia and I into, into tears. I mean, it just felt like a terrible loss. Because we really did believe at that time that that would be it for the for the country, and it could have very well been, but that's not the kind of character that Tara Fayar is, and that's not the kind of story we we like to tell. I mean, we go forward through the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. There's a lot of times when we play things that are probably boring to a lot of people. But we love them. I mean, they're just everyday life, slice of life kind of games. Such as when Tara and Mickelrick uh, were teaching their children the difference between food and not food. Now, their children are half-dragon people. They're dragon children. Half-dragons, half-elf, and some elemental thrown in there for good measure. And they, you know or little shapeshifters so they could shift back and forth. And they had to be taught, like, you know, no, the servants are not food. You know, the, you know, bad guys that came, tried to attack you, those people are food. Um, so, you know, but it was just like a little quaint little time period. There's lots of them. There are a whole lot of them. Just loving moments, um, sweet moments between characters also just fun I mean just fun things you know just completely out of the blue just a character pops up and you know we were role playing just the other night and there was this character that came into my head named Gilly Meg and she just boom she was there and I knew everything about her and she just came into my head uh, she was a woman who's a pirate who uh, offended a gypsy, was cursed by the gypsy to have a short life unless she changes her ways. So she started using her contacts to find children that had been abandoned and take them in and clean them up and try to get them adopted or at least have something, you know, get them back to their families or something. And this person was just there and she was perfect. I mean, she, I could get her, I got her accent down and she just spoke to me. This character just spoke to me. And in the midst of all that, it was just like I'm, I'm caught up in this emotion. And that kind of emotion is just not, you can't buy that. You can't fake it. You can't, I can't tell you the magic formula for making it happen, but it does happen. So you just have to let yourself be open to it, be available to it, be not afraid of it, let it come. Enjoy it. Really, if you think about it, it's the truly brave people who can go past their comfort zone 
and go into these sentimental times, these sentimental storylines. Remember that if a story is not affecting you, then there's something wrong with the story. Looks like we've come to the end of another Bears Grove podcast. Now I'm going to have to edit the heck out of this thing because I just sort of did it all off the cuff. And I apologize if I rambled too much. But I'm, I really didn't have it in me to do a lot of writing this week. And so I have just come up, come up with it out of the blue. I hope you liked it. If you didn't, well, you know where the off button is. Um... The Bears Grove is brought to you as a Creative Commons work. Creative Commons is making trademark and copyrighted goods available to people in a legal way. And basically what our Creative Commons license gives you is the ability to copy this and distribute it to anybody you like, as long as you don't make money off of it, and as long as you keep my name Sam Chup associated with it and as long as you don't change it around and if you want to change it around get in touch with me I'll be glad to you know see about giving you the permission to make a der- derivative work if you really want one but until then uh, we'll we'll have to just leave it at no derivations so Until next week, Sam Chupp signing off. This has been a Fireheart Foundry production. That's right. Music has been Tranquility by Mark Hymonen from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Remember that this is a new month, and I'd like to beg you to please go to Podcast Alley and... For the cost of absolutely nothing, click on Vote For Me. Because if you vote for me, my little podcast will go up in ranking. And if my podcast goes up in ranking, more people will actually see it. And if more people see it, more people will listen. And if more people listen, I'll be happier. And I'll be ha- if I'm happier, then I'll do more podcasts. And if you liked it, then, well, I mean, it's like a virtuous circle at that point. Thanks for listening to me ramble on, and we'll see you again next week. Till then, sweet dreams when you get them. Bye.